0: Literary design is actually another thing that has really helped the Bible come to life for me. It's not ever something that I was taught to think about that the Bible as literature. Um, and, um, and so you would never talk about the sophistication of the Bible as literature, as literary art.
1: Welcome to Undiscussed a show where we talk about things Christians should talk
2: about, but often don't. This week, we talk with John Collins of The Bible Project. So welcome to Undiscussed. My name is Eric. My name is Patrick, and uh, this is the podcast where we talk about things Christians should talk about, but often don't.
1: Yeah, and it's not necessarily, as we often say, that... Uh, they never talk about them, but maybe they don't talk about them as often as they should or in the context or the the way that they should.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch of reasons why I think Christians maybe avoid certain ideas, uh, whether it's because we're afraid that we might be accused of being a heretical uh, or we're afraid we'll say the wrong thing um, or we just don't know how we're supposed to think about a certain issue. That usually leads to a lot of topics just being undiscussed, undiscussed unfortunately
1: yeah and today's topic, I think, is fun because it's it's maybe a little bit ironic. Uh, we're talking about the Bible and how Christians sometimes don't talk about the Bible.
2: Yeah. And I think we can often speak in sweeping generalities. Obviously Christians talk about the Bible. Um, but at least in my experience, uh, many of us don't actually read it all that often. Uh, some of us go through seasons where we read it a ton and then forget about it for maybe weeks or months at a time. And then like, there's a whole world out there of books and apps and resources that are specifically designed to help us experience the Bible. Uh, the proper way. Hashtag you version. Exactly. I, I love it and I use it. And I, I do that specifically because sometimes I need a little bit of help or structure or um, just something to kind of, you know, help push me along and get through some of the, the harder parts of the Bible. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And this week, uh, one of those other things or other, uh, websites, things that uh, exist to help us interact with the Bible, is The Bible Project. And so we've got John Collins with us, the man responsible, or co-responsible, if you read the website, uh, for the animation studio studio that helps uh, explore the literary structure of the Bible. Welcome, John. Hey, guys. Good to be here. We're in uh, kind of wintry Ontario, Toronto. What's the weather looking like there in in Portland?
0: Yeah, in Portland, we had a remarkable year, really... uh... Really nice year, and it just finally started getting cold. And so, what's the weather, cold
2: for you guys?
0: Uh 40s, low 40s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I
2: think yeah,
1: we don't have that. like
0: the Midwest or or Northern California kind of winters where it's freezing and there's snow. We we have just wet and uh, mild winters, which is nice. So that's-
2: that's four degrees Celsius. I always have to like tra- translate it because I don't know what oh, yeah, yeah, in Fahrenheit. Yeah. But that's funny because like in in fall, I feel like we would consider that super cold. But as soon as around spring comes around, because it gets so freezing in the winter, four degrees Celsius comes out or forty degrees Fahrenheit, and people are out in like shorts, yeah, throw <laughs> the coat off, patios. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah no, this
0: is cold. This we stay. This is where we start staying indoors. I mean, you guys get this too, where it just starts getting dark really early. Yep. yep. And, and it's, there's
2: already snow on the ground outside here. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, we yeah, just w- hunker down. I
1: went for a run last night. It was minus four degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but I actually almost died a couple times because of the ice on the ground and my shoes were not equipped for the ice. So we live in different, different climates for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: so tell, tell me a little bit more about yourself. I know uh, that you're the Bible project guy. But uh, what, what else is there about you? Yeah. <laughs> Probably most of your life is is apart from that, but what's going on?
0: I grew up here in the Northwest in the uh, Seattle area and I live in Portland now. And um, I think of myself as an explainer. I, I, in my kind of adult life started an animation studio, like an ex- explanation animation studio that made short form animated videos to explain mainly tech products um that's called Epifio i co-founded that in uh 2009 and and then i started a small digital agency in portland and then the bible projects really kind of in the same vein of doing short form explainers with animation but about the bible so um that's kind of what that's my main thing is explaining things with animation
2: I'm curious uh, what drives you uh, to use animation? Is that like the one of the most effective tools that you've found uh, helps people kind of understand uh, what the things you're trying to explain?
0: Yeah, I find it really effective. I mean, I fell into it because um, I wanted I wanted to explain things with film and it turns out that i'm I'm bad I'm a bad cameraman like I'm not a good <laughs> photographer. so, Um, I would go out and shoot film and come back to edit it. And I just would be so disappointed (laughs) in everything I had. And, um, but I, uh, I still really would want to explain the jobs I usually had were to explain what was going on in a nonprofit or in a, in a small business and trying to explain why you should care about what's happening there. And when I didn't have good footage, I just would start doing really scrappy, like animations with just, with, with stock images, with, uh, with text, with anything I can get my hands on. And I found that you can communicate a lot of information when you're using motion graphics and text on screen and illustrations um, while explaining things um, at the same time. It's just the, the, the amount of comprehension that you can, as a viewer, can can have is pretty remarkable. Um, and so that became like my shtick. It kind of became a product that I got good at making. And that was at the same time that um, uh, YouTube was really in its stride and um, and companies were just starting to use video on their websites and so we were like first to market to make explainer videos and got some big Silicon Valley clients and really grew and, and, and so there's a whole industry now of explainer videos um, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and that, was the, that was the world I was swimming in. And, um, and now uh, I don't have to work with uh, clients. I get to make videos about the Bible and it's, it's super fun. And, uh, it's the same, it's the same process, same workflow. I use a lot of the same designers I've worked with, worked with since, um, since I got into this stuff and it's all crowdfunded. So we don't have clients. We just have a bunch of people who pitch in to, to allow us to make these.
1: Yeah. Uh- I, I being one of those people. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. We love stuff. <laughs> no, it's yeah. seriously like,
0: thank you. Because that's, I mean, it's amazing. The, the freedom we have and the ability to, to do this is, is because of, of you and people like you pitching in and, um, uh, it's I'm having a blast. So thank you for letting me have a blast.
2: So on the topic of, I guess, explainer videos, I, I like to think of myself as someone who tries to do what you do, where I love, I love taking complex ideas and then breaking them down into a way that I understand them and then trying to communicate that with other people. And you guys do such an amazing job at the Bible project. And I wonder, are there any projects or either within the Bible project or before that were particularly challenging for you to break down and communicate in the way that an average person could understand?
0: Yeah yeah well, the one we just we just released a video about a month ago on God. Uh, it's just called God and um, that was the hardest video I probably have ever made and I don't know if it was successful or not. Some people watch it and they go, that was really cool, but I don't understand still what you're talking about and uh, other people watch it and they're like, whoa, like that I have to watch it again but man I'm was that was really helpful. Uh, but that was definitely the hardest video to do, trying to explain the identity of a being that we can't actually understand. (laughs) Um, and, uh, there's, I mean, yeah, there's been lots of other ones. I mean, I've worked with tech companies that like, they, they don't fully understand what their thing really is and, (laughs) um, they don't really realize that they don't understand it. So it's, it's really a painful process of trying to convince them <laughs> well, and then you can't, I mean, they've given you money and you got to make them the video. So
1: <laughs> right. But that the kind of question for me, how do, how do you define success? It's probably easier when you've got a client and you're like, well, if the client's happy, then we're successful. But like, even in the work that you do now, uh, how would you say, like you said, the God video, you're not sure if it's successful or not. What is success for you?
0: Yeah, I think, I think these kind of videos are successful when they um, they give you entry into the, a new world of ideas. So uh, I think explainer video, what it does really well is it, it creates a framework for you to think about something that you weren't able to think about before because you just didn't understand it. You didn't understand all the parts. So it's not like now you're an expert in any given topic, but there's this... There's this real sense of reluctance for us to care about things that we don't understand, and to, um, and to, and to explore things that we don't understand because it just is intimidating. So what an explainer video does is makes you makes you go, oh, I I get that now. Like now when I think about that thing, I've got these new hooks to hang my my thoughts on, and I can organize now this this world of ideas, and now I can go deeper into it. So. If someone goes like, "Oh, cool! I didn't get that before. Now I get it, and I didn't ever think I could have gotten it," um, that's that's successful.
2: Cool. Yeah, I've I've definitely had that experience with uh, with your videos, and I think what's cool about it too is that. I often am able to take even just ways of thinking about um, the Bible from one video and apply it to like other areas of the Bible too. Um, And just kind of gives me more perspective on like, oh, I never actually would have approached something from that particular angle. And that gives me an entirely new appreciation for for that subject.
1: Yeah. And I love watching them with my kids because, you know, sitting down and doing a, a Bible study with them, is kind of boring in their eyes (laughs) cartoons are fun though (laughs) but like uh throwing up the cartoon on you you know any so we just like kind of started walking through the the book ones and uh they were like this is so cool so then i like bought the coffee table book to like so then we like watch the progression of the drawings and and stuff it's it's a lot of fun so it's been it's been super helpful for me and and my family but maybe a less uh Serious question. I don't know how you're going to take this one, but has anyone ever told you that you look like Adam driver? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for podcast listeners who can't see you, uh, I would say that you do. And, and we were joking, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I, do, I get
0: that. I, and I got it. Uh, I got it back before, um, Adam driver was Kylo Ren in star yeah. Wars. So yeah, i like, did of like, you
1: kill Han Solo? Yeah. John?
0: <laughs> man, Uh, no, but, uh, but if I ever had the opportunity to, I I would spare his life for sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad Um,
2: there's any reasonable man would. You have control of your emotions. Unlike Kylo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, my wife wife would disagree with that. At least when it comes to Han Solo. maybe. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we mentioned in the intro is that, uh, we as Christians maybe don't talk about the Bible often enough or that, we often interact with the Bible and um in confusing and sometimes unhelpful ways. Is that something that you would uh, agree with?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. so i um, i I found that I was becoming um a post Bible Christian is the term i've I've been using and um, that i i I grew up in a tradition, a spiritual tradition that that really cares about the Bible the Bible was the most important part of faith. And, um, and I, so I, was, I read it all the time growing up, um, would hear sermons all the time about it. Um, I went to Bible college and studied it undergrad. And at just some point, I just was like, you know what, I don't think I'm ever going to get this thing. I'm just never, it's just too weird. It's too confusing. Um, and so in my twenties, I basically gave up reading the Bible. But what's weird about that is I didn't give up. I didn't give up on Jesus. I didn't give up on the faith. I just kind of felt like I didn't, I didn't need to try to to read the Bible. In fact, the Bible was just making it harder for me to follow Jesus. Uh, it was easier uh, when I didn't open up the Bible and get confused. and um, And so... I, I knew this was a tension and a problem and that's one reason why I wanted to start this project was I um, I didn't I knew it wasn't good and I wanted to uh, I wanted the Bible to come to life for me um, but I was functionally yeah post Bible Christian and the Bible's weird I mean it's it's a strange book you open it up and you start reading it And um, there's a talking snake on the second page of the Bible, as as Tim likes to say, um, which is just really strange. And and you just you got uh, these magic trees, you got a talking snake, you've got um, uh, and then and then you're reading and you got all these characters doing these dubious things. And you got all these ancient law codes and you've got blueprints for a tabernacle. And it's just like, why? I don't. I don't get it. And I don't know why I should get it. And I mean, even the other day, I was like, I was reading Galatians um, and I was just like, I don't understand half of the things he's talking about in here. And, um, and typically that's just really discouraging. And it just makes me feel like, yeah, let's not worry about this thing. Um, Tim has this, he had this funny uh, way of putting it kind of early on when we started working on this project together, Tim's the guy, uh, the co- other co-founder of the project. He, um, he said the Bible's kind of like your, um, your, your crazy uncle in the family who like you, you love him because he's in your family. Um, but, but he's really embarrassing. And when you go to like Thanksgiving dinner, like you're always worried, like, what's he going to say? <laughs> That's going to be like awkward. And, um and uh but you love him he's your uncle and that's like our relationship as christians with the bible i've found is generally it's it's a weird book we we love it because in the end we want to follow jesus and jesus like he his story is entangled in this and this is how we know about him but um but man sometimes it's just it's just weird
1: yeah i can i can totally relate and oftentimes when a friend or someone just coming to the bible for the first time says you know like how do i do this where do i start i'm often like well let's skip like the first 40 books and start in like john because that kind of makes sense and they always give me this like You'd never do that when you read any other oh, Yeah, here's of book. <laughs> Harry Potter. Why don't
2: you start on the fifth book? Because yeah. that's yeah. where it really picks up. Because
1: I'm just like, you're going to get bogged down in that first little part. But you said something that struck me. You said, I wanted the Bible to come alive. I'm wondering, was there a point in your life where the Bible had been very alive for you in your spiritual tradition, and you wanted it to come alive again? Or was it more like kind of dead right from the start and you, you wanted a new experience Mm. with the, with the work.
0: That's a great question. I don't know if it ever really was alive for me. Um, I think I, I was just told from my earliest conscious memories that the Bible is the key to, uh, this life and more importantly, the key to the afterlife. And by reading the Bible and understanding it and and doing what it says, um, I I will have a good life now and I can get into heaven when I die. And that just was this mantra that was repeated over and over in my life through church and mentors in church and pastors. and And so you just, I just was like, okay, I got to understand this book. Um, and, um, actually, you know, right out of the gate, I'm already bored of the book because I'm, you know, you go to, if you grew up in Sunday school, you just hear the same stories over and over and over. And, um, and I just was like, okay, I need new stories. Like this is, I'm, I'm, I'm bored. Like I don't, uh, uh, I, I'm not finding anything here. So yeah, strangely, I mean that's what's weird is like the Bible in my it was so important in my faith tradition, but for me it always was like the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to understand it. Um, I also, but but I love to try to understand things and I love to explain things. And and um, I've had some influential you know teachers in my life who were really good at explaining things. And so I really want—I really wanted to do that. And that's why I went to Bible college. It was just like, oh, maybe I could figure this out. Maybe I could help explain it to others. And like I said, sometime in my early 20s, I just was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Um, it's just way over my head. Like I just, I'm, I'm making stuff up and I'm like, I don't understand it. And I got a lot to figure out.
2: Yeah, I think when you talk about being in your 20s and being a very post-Bible Christian, there are a lot of people out there who are relating. You're, you're describing a very common experience, I think, for for a lot of Christians and a lot of students. And and now you're doing the Bible Project and you're doing these excellent explanations of the Bible and digging really deep into it and finding w- new ways for people to engage. What was the the, the trigger or, uh, I guess, the catalyst to, to kind of get you back into it in a way that, um, helped you better understand how, how amazing this book was. Was it the Bible project triggered it or like it it was that a chicken or the egg type of situation?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, what happened was I still had, you know, in my, in my twenties, I still had questions that really were hard for me, um, that I was still wrestling through. Uh, and, um, questions about, uh, eternal conscious torment was probably kind of the main one. And there was other ones. And, um, and so I would still be having these theological conversations with people. And so the Bible inevitably gets thrown in the mix. So, um, it's not like it was like, Hey guys, we're never gonna talk about the Bible. Um, and then I would have, when it, I would have conversations with all sorts of people, but, uh, one guy in particular, Tim, um, whenever I would talk with him, it was just remarkably different experience. Tim really understood the Bible. He was very knowledgeable in what the Bible says, uh, cause he reads it so much. Um, and, uh, but I never felt like any questions were off limits. And when I would ask him certain questions, he'd be like, Oh, that's an interesting question. But here's like a more interesting question. And, um,
1: <laughs> oh, he did uh, Jesus Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, uh, the Jesus Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> Where, or, you like, know, you ask him one question and he just fires another one. Yeah. Back at you. And all of a
0: sudden you're like, Oh, cool. We get to ask questions and we get to really wrestle with this thing. Um, and I just loved the dialogues that I got to have with Tim and really, really treasured those. Um, and so at some point, Tim moved back to Portland. He had finished his, his um, doctoral degree in biblical studies and Semitic languages out in Wisconsin, uh, University of Madison, Wisconsin. And he, he was a teaching pastor out there at a church called Black Hawk. And uh, him and his family decided to move back. And so he was moving back. And I was like, dude, it would be so fun to make explainer videos about the Bible, Will you, would you do it with me? And so that was just—it was just—I really like talking with Tim. I like making explainer videos, so we just kind of started working on it.
1: Yeah, that was actually my first uh, exposure to Tim was uh, his five-minute explanations yeah. of biblical books for Blackhawk Church. Oh, and, cool! Uh, so you knew about so, those? Yeah. So I've—I've I've been following Tim for a while. Yeah, um, but yeah, Tim OG.
0: Uh, Those are the original, original Bible project explainers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I wonder if, uh, maybe it would be helpful to unpack some of the, some of the things that, you know, you discovered in your relationship with Tim and like, uh, in journeying through the Bible project that, uh, helped you to like, for the Bible to come alive and, and kind of principles that you would, uh, address for, for other people who are looking to do the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tim and I have, we've, we've had to sit down and think about, well, and I've had to sit down and think about like, what is it, what has happened? That's helped the Bible come to life for me because it really has, uh, come to life through doing this project and the way, so the way I like to think about there's, there's a few things. One, which was, um, really, really unlocked something for me was that the Bible is both human and divine. And this is something that I, uh, that I was taught actually growing up. This was like, this is, you know, an Orthodox position about the Bible. Um, but in my tradition, it was like, yeah, it's human and divine, but really, it's divine. It's really just divine. And it's it's God's word. We use words like inerrancy. Um, and, and because if God was to write something, there should be no errors in it. Um, and uh, and and so really, it's it's kind of like it dropped out of heaven and and here we got it and maybe human authors did write it down but god was really just kind of taking over their body and letting them write the words their brain wasn't really that involved that's yeah, they, for, for whatever he, reason he was, that was like the the picture i had in my mind
1: <laughs> he was like ghostwriting through yeah. like yeah
0: yeah um yeah you're just kind of taking over and, and and writing through them you know i mean that's an extreme but basically somewhere around there and as i started Working on this with Tim, he would just constantly be u- using language like, "You see what the author is doing here, and you see how the author's, you know, riffing off of this idea over here, or uh, you see how he's designed this, and you see the literary design of that, and just using all these languages that really puts the emphasis on the human, the humanity of of this book." And and every time he would do it, I would kind of cringe inside. I'd be like, like, but but the Bible is not a human book, and um, it's more than that. And uh, and that's true. Uh, at, at least I believe that's true. That the Bible is more more than that, but it isn't less than that either. It is human and divine. And what I found was that if I came with the the paradigm of this book is divine, it fell out of heaven and this is God's word to me, then I would get really tripped up when I would see its humanity, like when I encounter its humanity. And what I found is because of that, my spiritual tradition really wanted to polish off all the fingerprints on this book, like really try to make it not look human, which is really kind of, impo- it's impossible to do in the end, and um, and will lead you to finally kind of give up if if that's where you're coming to with the book.
1: Maybe maybe I could just interject for a second. What what would you say are some of those fingerprints that like, like for, you know, people who are listening, who are not as familiar as others, like what are some of those things that your church like tried to kind of polish off? I wonder if you remember any. Well,
0: I mean, one, I mean, one big one is, uh, you know, the gospel authors all have their different versions of of the life of Jesus and the events and how they unfold. And, um, uh, and there was always this, this attempt to try to create a, like a gospel harmony of how it all works together. Um, and because we, because you have this paradigm that if this is really a divine book, like there wouldn't be any discrepancies, but you find discrepancies you fi- you find that the gospel authors will change the words of Jesus from one book to the o- other to make a point that they want to make and that just fe- that just fe- that felt weird um uh y- you find that you know you have all these different authors and if the- if they were all being um If they were all being moved by the holy spirit to write this book you think that they would all um use their vocabulary in the exact same way um but they don't and i mean one great example is just james he'll say something like faith without work is dead and paul will say you're saved by um faith not by works and you just kind of go like well i i did Why did God like tell Paul, uh, Paul to write it that way and James to write it this way? Like, um, and, uh, so, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, there's also just the fact that, uh, the biblical authors, um, they think about the world from an ancient paradigm. They think of a three tiered cosmos. Uh, the sky is a, um, a dome, like an actual, like physical dome up there that, um, that holds the rain back and then the ground is is on pillars that um that hold the ground up on the on the abyss and it's like no it's it's not (laughs) um and god must have known that uh so if god was just writing the book through the humans then why would he do that and so it feels very human uh perspective um so, so stuff like that
1: after the break We talk about the humanity of the Bible, and John offers encouragement for those trying to fall in love with the Bible again, or
2: for the first time. This episode is brought to you by Global Aid Network, a nonprofit organization that helps reveal hope and restore life through relief and development initiatives for people living in crisis and injustice.
1: So you're telling me they reveal hope and restore life. Those are some pretty broad concepts, Pat. What, what do you mean by that?
2: That's a pretty good question there, Eric. For example, one of the things that they do is microfinancing for women in Paraguay who run businesses. They receive small loans that help get their businesses off the ground, which helps them flourish as entrepreneurs without having to rely on loan sharks that take advantage of them. It's actually a really cool and practical way to empower women. Global
1: Aid Network also does a lot of other cool things. I have heard that they have something called the Water for Life Project, helping to provide communities with water. They're working with displaced people affected by the Syrian humanitarian crisis and tons more.
2: Wow, that really is a lot of other cool things. I kind of want to learn more about all these projects and initiatives. Well, thanks to the Webernets. Webernets. Internet for (laughs) laymen.
1: You can do just that. Head over to globalaid.net to learn more about how you can
2: get involved. That's globalaid.net. I think I, I relate to the idea of wanting to minimize the humanity of the Bible uh, because I feel like by saying the Bible is human, you're saying the Bible is like imperfect. Humans mess up. Yeah. The Bible really isn't all that ironclad. And that makes Christians kind of cringe. And they're like, oh, but then like, how can I trust it if it's like human, if there's any sort of humanity to it whatsoever?
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's that was the tension I was feeling is, is as soon as you give an inch on the humanity, the Bible unravels, and then it becomes just another book, like what with like the Odyssey or whatever you want. Like it's just it's just another human book. So um, what
2: do, what does happen when you like when you reintroduce that humanity and you help balance out the fact that it is both human and divine?
0: Well, I think once you once you allow for the category that it is also human, and you get okay with the fact that you're gonna find human fingerprints all over it you you, if you start there what what i find is that first of all you you start just really enjoying the literature more you're not getting hung up on on those things but then um but then you'll just realize like this isn't just human you you you'll be reading it and you'll be it'll there's it's divinity will just start soaking through it and um, and it'll become, um, it becomes really apparent that there's more going on than this is just a human book. So it's like when you when when you start with this is just a, this is God's Word, this is the divine book. for whatever reason, you get to the humanity and it is scandalous. But in the reverse, you start with this is a human book, and you start there, and then you see it's divinity and it's glorious. And I I just found that really interesting. Like, I, and it's not necessarily like the right way to go about it because it, uh, it's both. I you should probably start with just it's both. But I found that I letting myself just be like, hey, let's just think about this book as a human book. Like, I got back into it's kind of crazy. You know, this is this is something more, um, really fast, and in a way that was really uh, impactful.
2: Yeah, I um I think this this tension also exists when people try to understand uh, Jesus as both fully human and fully divine too. I feel like I, I have this exact same uh, pull either way where I'm like, if you try and get me to imagine, imagine that like, Oh, Jesus went to the bathroom and yeah. like yeah. he was a carpenter for like, what, like 28, 30 years before it, like anybody even knew uh, who he was just doing the mundane everyday life stuff. I, I start to, you know, kind of, minimize i guess uh, the 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 wholeness of of who Jesus was and it seems like the same thing is at stake when you when you minimize the bible it's
1: almost like it's a parallel there pat uh, it might be
0: yeah i think you're exactly right it's it's this it's the same it's the same thing and christians are more comfortable talking about Jesus as human and divine than they are talking about the bible as human and divine mm-hmm. but that's still uncomfortable it is it's still uncomfortable talking about Jesus as human it like I I was having a conversation with a friend like a year or so ago and you guys are familiar with all the like personality tests like everyone's into the Enneagram now yeah this right was up. like this was a while back when everyone's into the Myers Briggs um, yeah I don't know if you're familiar with that one
1: <laughs> I remember that season <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and we were like and so I think we were, we were like hey what do you think Jesus was on the Myers Briggs <laughs> 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 and uh, and this friend got really like flustered like oh jesus you uh, didn't have a myers briggs personality because he's uh, he had all of can't them can't put he-
2: jesus in a corner come on yeah and it's like well jesus
0: was human like i don't know maybe he did what do you think he was what
2: did you what did you guys decide
0: um i someone said once that jesus was an infj
2: oh so close <laughs> I INFP here. You're I an really, INFP. Yeah, 75 yeah. there. I mean, the NTP Here, so it,
1: it, I was way off. But I, I knew. I always knew I was far from Jesus. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was at a conference recently where an Enneagram writer was saying that Jesus was a four on the Enneagram. Oh, right. Those Who know that will understand yeah. what that means? But, yeah. And I was just like, oh, no way, man. He- <laughs> right. Jesus, he he all like the Enneagram a, types. He's more
2: like me. like more like a seven or yeah. 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 Um, another thing I, I wanted to ask you about, too, is uh, you guys really emphasize the literary uh, aspects um, of yeah. the Bible and uh, and how it's one unified story. And it's really a piece of art. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, your guys' desire to to to, to bring out the, the literary aspects of the Bible?
0: The literary design is actually another thing that has really helped the Bible come to life for me. It's not ever something that I was taught to think about that the Bible as literature um and um, and so you would never talk about the sophistication of the Bible as literature as literary art and Tim would talk about it all the time and um and it's it's so remarkable because um you know I I I love to appreciate uh art in I you know especially in movies I think like I really I really love to think about why was that movie so good you know what was it was it the script was it the was it the cinematography was it the acting uh what these thematic elements that ran through it just it just something really worked it was just and you and you and you watch those movies where you just left just kind of in awe of like whoa it just lands and it's beautiful or it's whatever the motion that you have. And art will do that for you when it's really good art. And um, the Bible is really sophisticated literary art. And I I just never knew that. And I think one of the reasons why I never knew was was because I was never taught to look at it that way, but also because it's not art um, in the way that we create art now. It's it's like second temple judy uh judaism doing literary art so it's like they've got their own style uh so you so um and they're and they're they were dialed in they're smart and they are doing so much in in the text and so i mean like there there's no wasted word in the bible and the way that they um, riff off of themes like jazz musicians throughout the whole Bible is, is really amazing. And uh, the level of sophistication that they're thinking through as they're, as they're trying to explain their story, the story of Israel, why they're in exile, um, why they have this, this unique relationship with the creator God, what that's all about, and where it's all heading. As they're trying to make sense of all this, they're using literary art to do it they're using stories and poetry and apocalyptic literature, which is this unique kind of poetry, um, there, uh, and, and, um, and when you get really geeky about it, the way that like a art historian would get geeky about whatever, you know, like Renaissance paintings or something like you just the like the rabbit hole just goes really deep and, and and you just realize like, whoa, I'm in the presence of brilliant minds, brilliant human minds and then also like a brilliant like capital M mind um, and uh, and it's it's not it's not something I was ever taught to look for.
1: Yeah that that resonates a lot with my experience growing up. I was part of a spiritual tradition that was so afraid of like, iconography and and stained glass windows and and like all of that that like our sanctuary was like cinder block walls because we wanted to reduce it to just Jesus and there was you know one communion table and 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 that's what I grew up with and so like every bit of artistic beauty and everything was stripped out of of the Christian faith and so The tradition I'm a part of now, it's like all about bringing the creative space and the artistry back into it. And and it's been so helpful for my faith. Uh, And so I I can totally relate to uh, seeing the Bible as this literary work of art and being able to appreciate it and and all of that.
2: Yeah. And following just the idea, like I... I came to this realization recently actually because of the Bible project because I was sitting there thinking like, why why is it so hard for me to pay attention sometimes in sermons yeah. yet I could sit down and binge like like 15 uh, like Bible project videos in a row <laughs> and like not even blink. Part of me was like, maybe that's medium, but I think it's because personally I connect to story and, and narrative more than information. So if you're just trying to deliver like, Uh, like a like a list of like rules or ideas that don't actually connect in any way I have a hard time like understanding it and applying it but to me story just speaks so deeply and I I love books I love movies I love podcasts I love anything that has Mm -hmm. has story to it really like deeply um, impacts me I think
1: yeah and Pat and I were actually having like almost the identical conversation that you and your friend were having or you were talking about you know, what makes a movie good. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I felt a warmness in my heart. that's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, me and John Collins could actually be friends. <laughs> it's like we, we like the same sort of things and yeah. talk about the same sort of things. But, but yeah, but talking about story, like story comes out so much in the Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, and I know that you and Tim talk about the uni- unified story throughout the Bible and the redemptive storyline and all of that. Maybe you could just like comment on how that uh, just, takes it to another level
0: yeah the literature of the bible has all sorts of different genres there's narrative there's poetry there's um there's discourse kind of prose discourse like in the epistles and and in the laws in the pentateuch um or the torah and uh and and so it's easy to kind of start to think of the bible in these different sections and um different uses and, um, and not see how all of these genres, no matter what the biblical author is using, what they're doing is they're developing, um, a storyline, uh, one unified storyline, uh, about the whole human condition. And, um, and it's easy to take the Bible and try to, just turn it into a theological dictionary and go okay i want to understand god and understand the world and understand what how do i get saved and make sure i go to heaven and and make sure i could check all the right boxes and that i understand the right things about who god is so i'm going to just mine the bible for all the data and then kind of systematize it and um and the and so you're treating the bible kind of like a like a like a theological dictionary, and then um, there's other people who will take the Bible and just go, well, you know, it's just a it's just a random bit of stories and 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 laws and different things. So I'm just gonna open it up wherever I land and just read it and just see what God's gonna say to me today and kind of treat the Bible like a devotional grab bag, and and neither of those things are wrong. Like it, those are fun exercises to do. Um, But ultimately, it's trying to make the Bible something that it's not. That the Bible actually is um, a unified story from beginning to end. And all of this literature is building into that story. And so it's a story of of humanity. It's a story of, like when you start reading, you're introduced to humanity, Adam and Eve. Um, Adam means human. Adam in Hebrew means human, Eve means life. And you get, you get, you get human in life. God, God sets them up on the earth and tells them to rule the earth with him and uh, to expand the goodness of this garden that he created out of, in the middle of this waste and wilderness and, and to grow it and to be fruitful and multiply and rule with him. And, and he says, kind of just do this on one condition, which is, uh, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't try to, to, to don't decide what's good and evil on your own terms. Like rely on me for that. Like this has to be a a co-ruling relationship. Um, because as soon as you start defining good and evil on your own terms, terms, it's going to lead to death. And then you get then they do. And it cycles down into all this death and violence. And, um, and then God pulls uh, out one family, one guy out of this whole wreck and says, okay, you, Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to, with your family kind of reboot this whole thing. And so all the Old Testament is really then from there, your 12 you're 12 chapters into the Bible at this point, And it's all about now this family, like how is God going to use this family to somehow restore the goodness of Eden somehow bring all nations back into, to blessing. And so that, so that basically we could like love each other and build a beautiful world the way God wanted it to be. And, um, and so you're tracing that story and all the themes of, of, uh, of, Uh, exile um, and of, of waiting for a Messiah and all these things and all of this stuff, it leads to Jesus. Um, And, um, and Jesus becomes this kind of culmination of every, every motif that scripture has been wrestling through. Um, And, uh, and then after that, you get the stories of, uh, of Jesus early followers and acts, and then all the letters that of them wrestling through. What does it mean that Jesus was the culmination of the story, and then this hope for when Jesus will actually bring a f- resolution and the world will be recreated into this um, place where humans live united with God as rulers, and and then we actually love each other, and uh, and so that's the story. And um, it's easy, you know, it's easy to lose track of the story when you get into any specific random narrative or poem. Um, but, but everything is connected to that story. Um, and so one thing at the Bible project we do is we just take like a theme, like a single theme in that story and we trace it through and, and really see how the story develops through that theme. Um, like the theme of ruling, like talked about ruling with God, being the image of God. Um, tracing that theme, uh, the theme of, a a human who will come and, and, and deal with the problem of evil. Um, and so those are, those are really satisfying videos because it helps you see the entire storyline, um, through, through a specific, uh, lens. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it's a story and, um, and it's a story that's trying to tell us what life is really all about. And uh, inviting us into that story, um, and uh, and it's a beautiful story. It's a story about um, learning how to die to ourselves and live by a power that's greater than ourselves. Um, that, that so we can live self-sacrificially, uh, truly love people, fight for justice, um, and uh, and it's a very unique and compelling. Um, uh, perspective on how all that works. Regard and and um, and then if you follow Jesus, uh, it's not just a perspective you believe it's the way, um, that it's um, that Jesus rose from the dead, which is crazy, and is united with the Father and in, in, in a way that we can't understand, um, fully, but that he, uh, uh, is the human one who's done what we couldn't do and he is God himself become human and that it's through him we have this this power to be able to live in a new way. So um, that's the story and it's not just a story, it's something we're invited to, to participate in.
2: Yeah, in many ways it's not really a surprise to me I think why people f- have such a hard time reading the Bible is because I really feel like we have no like precedence for how to interact with material of this nature. I mean, I don't I can't think of an, any any other story in the world that is one unified, consistent story that is told across like different genres and written in an entirely different cultural context
1: Yeah, by 40 authors and 66 books. books. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just,
2: it's an insane compilation of books. So I grew up most of my life really like feeling like, Oh, there's just separate ideas and they are all true and they maybe relate to each other. But it was surprisingly late in uh, my, my life, or I guess my Christian life um, that I actually understood the idea that, Oh, wow, like there, there are a lot of connected themes here. And I, I wasn't actually smart enough to put this together myself, (laughs) but like someone was like basically talking about the themes and tracing Jesus through every single book and seeing like, look how all of this points to Jesus. And I think at that point, the Bible just became so cool. Like, wow, this is, this is imp- like, how could anyone have like orchestrated such a crazy story over so many different styles and through so many different separate authors from different time frames and still tell this one unified story? And I remember that being um, like a turning point for me. Um, but I- I'm I'm curious how you would maybe encourage someone who is currently living in like a cultural context where the Bible is so difficult maybe for them to approach and read and understand and appreciate how would you kind of encourage them to, to to give another go to get back into it and to to try reading the bible in a new way
0: <laughs> yeah um well you know we, we we were talking earlier about how it's easy to start in the gospels and um how that's weird to start a book in the middle um but i don't think that's a bad thing to do actually, because for me, um, the, the reason I'm a Christian is because of Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so start with the stories of Jesus and, um, they're, uh, they're weird too. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. Um, uh, it's, it's surprising and, uh, and mysterious and, but also a lot of really beautiful Things that are very captivating, um, and just kind of uh, just consider him, um, and uh, consider whether or not he is someone you want to follow. Um, and uh, what and what you'll find when you read the stories of Jesus, um, is that Jesus believes he thinks of himself as the culmination of this story of the hebrew scriptures so he's a jew he grew up reading the hebrew scriptures and in fact in luke we have the account where he he goes to the tap he goes to the the temple uh, uh the uh, synagogue and um he uh and he hasn't really started his ministry yet is kind of kicking off his ministry and he's handed uh, a scroll of isaiah to read through it and he opens up to a part in isaiah that he says um, uh, uh, what does it say? It says um, today
1: this is fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, let yeah. me just let me just look it Open up. Open the quick. eyes
1: of the blind, release the captives, and yeah. Ironically, we're studying that passage in my church right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appropriately or ironically? Ah, <laughs> just appropriately.
2: Maybe coincidentally. Coincidentally, it kills yeah. you that you. It need, kills you me, me that ironic. I used irony. <laughs> a podcast it's there forever eric it
1: is there forever but we said at the beginning of this show not this one in particular but that we were gonna make mistakes yeah, we're gonna learn <laughs> we're gonna learn so yeah. i i just there, there you it. go made a mistake and learned
0: <laughs> yeah it's in luke four uh he reads in isaiah He says the spirit of the lord is on me He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. And then he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's how Jesus saw himself. He saw himself as fulfilling scripture. Um, And then he would even say that like uh, uh, the... um, the Pharisees would be like, Hey, you know, you're kind of acting fast and loose with the law. And he's like, Hey, I love the law. Like it's not, not even one little part of the law is going to fade away. It's super important. But he, but I'm fulfilling it. I'm this, this was all about me. This all leads to me. Um, and so as you're reading Jesus and you, and you hear him say that, then it should just make you curious. Like, well, well, what's the story that he, that he thinks he's fulfilling. And then you can go back and, um, and then start reading through that story. I think that's a cool way to do it. Um, and then, um, feel free to use our videos too. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. but One interesting thing, just cause I'm learning about it right now in our church is that, you know, Jesus stops in the middle of this passage in Isaiah and like, he kind of rolls up the scroll and stops in this like kind of weird break point. And so it's like, it's almost even interesting what Jesus, includes in what he's saying in the synagogue that day and what he leaves out. And my pastor has been talking about the significance of the silence. And, and hmm. so Chris, yes, I have been listening. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a really cool series like looking at that and yeah. So
0: that's cool. It's also cool with this is like, this is about the um, kind of that messianic leader who's going to come. Um, exactly. Yeah. And uh uh, and really turn the social order upside down. I mean, think about it. Like, this is good news for the poor. Prisoners being set free. Um, it's he really saw himself doing something remarkably new. Um, and uh, and to understand the way he thought about it, you have to you have to become um, a Bible nerd. The way that um, rabbis were for century rabbis like Jesus was. They were so immersed in these scriptures.
1: One thing that um, we have uh, done on other shows talking about different subjects is, you know, we talk about the ways that Christian community is talking about the subject in a positive way, and also uh, we kind of talk about some of the negative aspects. I I don't want to, like, gripe or get on a soapbox, but I wonder if there are things that you— Hear Christians saying or uh, about the Bible,
2: famously mis, uh, misinterpreted scripture, or,
1: or or like uh, weaponizing certain verses and like hitting people with them, or like uh, Do you feel like there's a conversation that's happening about the Bible or around certain topics that you, that is like oh, I wish that would stop.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I. I. Uh, I've been out of those conversations, um, which has been nice. I mean, I'm, so I, I'm in America and we've got, you know, really uh, politics is a real, uh, hot, button issue. hot topic. Yeah. It's, and the evangelical Christians, um, have really chosen a side for the most part In um, and And in order to choose that side kind of with so so much um, gusto, uh, you have to overlook or dismiss a lot of things that scripture really cares about. Um, And so I think that's one of the things that frustrates me the most is um, when scriptures used to be political, but then... Some of the most politically charged things in Scripture then are ignored, which um, are are like what Jesus was just saying right here: proclaim good news for the poor. Like Jesus really believed that this was a message for the the down and out, the outcasts, the Im, the immigrants, the orphans, the widows. The this, the Hebrew Scriptures care about those people all the time, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if this is true, uh, but I <laughs> saw this headline. But like Jerry Falwell said, um, you know, I don't look to Jesus to decide about my politics. And that's just a, it's a, it's a strange thing to say, but I get it. Because if you do, like, you're going to actually kind of look like a radical hippie socialist. (laughs) And not that that's the right kind of politics. And I'm not trying to take a political side, but I just, I think that that's one of the things that's been, most irksome for me because that's the right now that's we're dealing with it. Like it's just, um, uh, if if I have a conversation in Portland with someone about Jesus, that's all they're thinking about is like, Oh, you mean Jesus, the guy who wants to make sure that immigrants, you know, can't come into America. it's like, well, okay, bummer. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's a bad place to start.
1: For well, for both sides. Uh, I think, people that listen to our show who have a real vibrant relationship with Jesus and love the Bible and certain things like there are parts of the the narrative in our society about the way that the Bible is treated and stuff that it's like it's hard and for the other side of people that don't have a relationship with Jesus don't read the Bible like it, it, it's confusing it can be confusing as well because like I was saying in the question like sometimes the Bible is weaponized to to marginalize and which is ridiculous because this passage that we've been talking about is like it, it, the Bible was written and the storyline is for the marginalized so much that, uh, to use it as a marginalizing agent is just so like disingenuous to to its Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I mean, I like to think about the positive side of things, which is, um, uh, I think that um, the, that's not going to be the predominant view moving forward. I think that um, there is there is this recapturing of the of the beauty of Scripture, and then a recapturing of the the, the really um, uh, radical way of life that um, being a follower of Jesus. Um, calls us to and um, uh, and I have a lot of hope I, f- I feel like the the challenges that our world has moving forward um, really needs the way of Jesus really needs uh, people who are living self-sacrificially who are loving their neighbor as themselves who are um, who are seeking after justice who um, who are calling each other to a a really high level of integrity, sexual purity, um, and, um, and are, are really trying to live it out and then are, are gracious to each other when they don't, um, but are real about it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, like it's, it's funny, like I grew up in a tradition where you would say like, yeah, the world needs Jesus. But that that was like on a very personal, like individual sense of each person in the world needs Jesus in their heart so they go to heaven when they die. It's kind of typically how that was meant. But now I'm like, man, the world needs Jesus. It needs the way of Jesus. Like we need like if there's any hope uh that we don't just blow ourselves up or melt down this planet. Um you know, we really, we really need, and maybe God will let us do that. And then he'll come and just recreate it. That's fine. But, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, there's a lot of hope.
2: Yeah. You know what? I think I, I, it's kind of hard to have hope in uh, certain climates, uh, that we currently exist in and just you, the, the negative just speaks so much more loudly, uh, than the positive often which can feel overwhelming but i do have a sense of hope when i um i look at stuff that like you know the bible project is is producing and it's so clear that there's a hunger for that kind of thing for people to actually understand in context in its full entire unity and the beauty of its art the bible and i i hope that there's a generation of people coming up that actually want to pursue that as well and want to actually understand the bible um, the way that it was meant to be understood uh, and I love that you guys are doing what you're doing the way that you're doing it um, and helping people you know build up that that better relationship and understanding with the Bible is there anything else out there that you guys kind of look to um, as as great examples of um, of that that sort of work as well? Um, like people that, I guess the Bible project looks up to, learns from, tries to maybe emulate or uh, just you really love.
0: Well, a lot of the tradition, uh, that we are in, in terms of reading the Bible, um, one of the guys is, um, he's passed, but his, his name is John Salehammer. And, um, he's got this, um, uh, NIV compact study Bible or, um, Uh, it's not a study Bible because it's not a Bible but just kind of notes that follow along and it's a really cool resource um, uh, that I would I would highly recommend Uh, Tim recommends it all the time Um, but uh, yeah I mean one of the things that I've realized working with Tim on this is like this is what the academic scholarly world of people who are faithfully following Jesus, but they're kind of, but they are in the kind of academic elite, like um, they're discovering and talking about like a lot of, a lot of this stuff. It just doesn't really trickle down. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying, because I don't have time. I don't have time to read those books. Like uh, they're just, they're dense and boring but tim just love i mean he just loves doing that stuff <laughs> um and so uh that's kind of one of the things we're, we're trying to do is kind of bring bring that that those ideas down to the uh down to the lay lay people like me
2: the lay people like us really appreciate it <laughs> yeah <laughs> It
1: is our, our practice on the show to give our guests the the last word on the, on the topic. And, uh, so we will not break that tradition today. Um, so before we close the show, is there anything else that you'd like to say as kind of a last word on Christians and the Bible and our relationship to this book, uh, that is so life giving to us?
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess I'd say this, it's, it's, it's hard. It's going to be really hard. Reading the Bible is hard. It is, Ancient literature. And, um, uh, you know, have you ever read Shakespeare in class, like in school yeah. or something? Yeah. It's hard to read because it was written, and that was written in, like, I don't even know, like what the 16th century, I don't know. Um, I'm just making stuff up. But, like, it's difficult <laughs> and it's brilliant literature. you I'm going to have to take someone else's word for that because I don't fully appreciate it. Um, it's just, it's just really, really difficult. And the same is true for the Bible. It's ancient literature. It's translated into English from ancient languages, from, from people who thought about the world in a totally different way than you think about it. I mean, just totally different. They just lived, they lived before, uh, just in a completely different world. There were like, you know, farming and, uh, they, they just, they didn't, the, the modern world as we know it just was in the way we think about things, it's just not the same paradigm. So you're, you're trying to enter the mind, um, of these ancient people through a language you don't understand through literary techniques that you don't understand. And it's going to be hard, but, um, for whatever reason, the way of Jesus uh, central to it is to be people of the book. And, uh, and, and so, uh, let's take up that challenge and let's, let's dig in. Let's try to understand those things. And, um, and the spirit of God, uh, is going to help. So that's awesome. (laughs) Um, we're not on our own and, um, and so yeah just I guess that would be the the fi- the final word would just be like uh, it's gonna be tough but it but it's worth it
1: well thank you so much uh, we've very much appreciated you being on the show not only because we're fans but also because it's uh, it's been a great conversation and I think uh, very fruitful uh, hearing and learning about the Bible and uh, and and all of its literary unified story goodness (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: i really appreciate the conversation sometimes i feel like i'm scared to talk about the bible because it'll expose like how little i know yeah (laughs) um but now that i i realize i actually don't know much and that's okay uh, because there's a lot to learn. it's uh you know frees up for great conversations so we really appreciate you spending the time with us and uh chatting about the bible
1: yeah thanks guys for having me This episode of Undiscussed was produced by Patrick Erskine and Eric Humphrey.
2: Editing done by Ben Skinner and the music was produced by Ian Post.
1: Go to p2c.sh undiscussed to find more episodes, show notes, and information about our podcast.
2: That's p2c.sh undiscussed. Also remember to subscribe if you like what you hear and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at undiscussedpod, all one word. If you've got feedback
1: for us, don't leave it undiscussed. In our next episode, we chat with Suzanne Rosalowski about grief.
2: You may remember Suze as our guest, co host from our Rachel Den Hollander interview. This is our second episode on grief, so consider this a bonus episode before we go on a short Christmas break. The reason why people get so scared, I've experienced myself, even though I've experienced loss. I've butchered so many interactions with people that have also experienced loss. And I think because we know it's like serious, or it feels like this person's experiencing great suffering, you don't want to add more to their plate. You know that. Intuitively, we all just want to like help each other out. And so it is good to hear that, to just try, right? And just like recognize you're not going to get it right all the time.